It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and a very warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. I'm Amber Sherlock. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you. We have two experts, one hour. It is Tuesday, September 20. Our two experts on today's show here for the full hour are Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool and Howard Coleman from Team Invest. A big welcome to both of you today. It's great to have you on the program. First, let's look at our first five stocks today. Now, we're going to look at Wes Farmers, followed by Trajan, Nine Entertainment, Dreadnought Resources and IDP Education. You can see them up on the screen there. But first, we're going to go to the stock of the day, which is New Hope Corporation. It has operations spanning coal mining, exploration, port operation, oil, ag, as well as innovative technologies. Now, investors are in for a massive final dividend of 31 cents per share plus a 25% per share special payout. Net profit after tax surged from $79.4 million to $983 million for the 12-month reporting period. Thermal coal prices continue to increase, driving strong revenue growth at 143.5% to 2.6 billion dollars. Chief Executive Rob Bishop said strong demand and global supply constraints pushed thermal coal prices to record levels. So let's take a look at how those shares are performing today. There they are. Okay, up uh, 6% today to $5.82. Scott, let's go to you first. What's your take on New Hope? And we're going to good to be with you. Look, this is, I, I think, one of the very best run coal businesses in the country and probably no surprise because it's part of the Sol Pats family, Washington H. Sol Pattinson. Um, of course, you know, about 60 percent of New Hope, I think, from memory, um, a, a very big and very successful individual business, but conglomerate as well. And the same sort of approach you'd expect. Uh, one of the most cost conscious, capital friendly, uh, best capital managers, I think, in the space. So that's all really positive. The challenge for investors right now is the coal price and, as a result, the share price. Over the past six months, the growth has been astronomical. They've done incredibly well because the coal price has been rising. You've already talked about that special dividend and the result today and the resultant share price increase, which I'm almost a bit surprised the market was surprised by. We kind of knew what those numbers were already going to be. The share price had already grown strongly, so it's already in a really, really nice position. The challenge with any commodity company is you've got to ask yourself, is this the new normal? Are we going to have permanently higher coal prices or is there potentially some risk of downside to the coal price because again if you're a miner you get to control your operational costs you get to control your operational efficiencies but you can't control the sale price and so if we do have a reduction maybe even just a return to normal of the coal price the new hope's going to have not much choice but to simply get less revenue uh, from every ton of coal that it digs up and exports and that's the crux of the new hope valuation question right now look there is a, a there's an argument to be made that there are fewer uh, coal mines being approved. And so those that remain in operation are probably more valuable than they've ever been in terms of their uh, contribution to the world's coal exports and, and usage. That's absolutely true. On the flip side, of course, the question of how long they are allowed to remain operating 
both the mines themselves, but also the power plants that they tend to support. Of course, coal is also used in steel making, so you've got that as well. Thermal coal for, for energy and metallurgical coal for steel making. I like New Hope. I like the management price. I just don't like the commodity price at the moment. And I think taking on shares right now exposes you to more risk and not enough return. So I would be selling this one if I own them. As a Solpatch shareholder, I should disclose, um, I kind of hope Solpatch also sells their estate because now will probably be a very good time. But I'm also reminded that Rob Milner has a very long record of success at Solpatch. So uh, he's probably a better arbiter and a better judge than I am on this one. How would you agree with Scott that it's a sell? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Scott summed it up extremely well indeed. Um, you don't want to be investing in things that produce commodities at the time when commodity prices are high because there's only one direction for them to go from the time they high, and that's down again. And, um, you know, if uh, coal prices did actually, let's take a hypothetical, let's assume coal prices stayed in the sort of region they are now for a significant period of time. Uh, seeing as the world needs energy and doesn't want to burn coal, all that would do is something that I would be very pleased if it did, and that is uh, create far greater enthusiasm for nuclear power and with the small modular nuclear reactors now that they can build very quickly and at relatively low cost, um, all that would happen is it would be replaced by cheaper nuclear power. So that won't help in the steel industry, but the steel industry is only a small part of the total amount of coal being used. Um, and there's plenty of coal in the earth. So the problem is not a shortage of coal in the earth, it's a shortage of licenses to produce it. But as Scott said, um, if you want to have some exposure to New Hope coal and you want to do it through something that's a lot less volatile, uh, buy Sol Patterson. If you look at New Hope coal's record over the last 10 years, this is the first year in 10 years that they've actually made a decent return on equity. So you, you're getting a once in 10 year good uh, profit. Uh, it's highly unlikely you're going to get more than about one in 10 of the following 10 years so uh, like Scott, if I owned it, and no team invest members I'm sure do, we'd be happy to sell it. Um, a number of team invest members do own Sol Patterson, and my guess is they would have exactly, I, I don't, but they would have exactly the same reaction, I think, as Scott, and that is that uh, while prices are so high, uh, great time probably to be selling it rather than buying it. Okay, it is a sell from Scott and Howard today on New Hope. Let's kick off our first five viewer stocks today. And our first stock of the day picked by you is from Simon. And he wants the expert's opinion on Wes Farmers. Now, Wes Farmers, of course, operates mainly in Australia and New Zealand in retail, chemical, fertiliser, industrial and safety products. Scott, what are your thoughts on Wes Farmers? So I really like the West Farmers business. They have in their stable two of the very best retailers in the country, uh, almost daylight third, quite honestly. Uh, maybe JB Hi-Fi might make the mix, but Bunnings is probably, I think, I think almost unquestionably the best, highest quality, best financials retailer in the country. Some of the return on equity from Bunnings is extraordinarily large. Um, I'm probably a large part of that, given the amount of money I've spent there over the past couple of years. But this <laughs> is not a, the a only one. Retailer. Yeah, exactly right. I built a chicken coop, which uh, Koshi managed to show on this program a couple of times. Uh, so that was my, <laughs> that was my lockdown project. Um, but on top of that, they've also got Officeworks, which is also a really, really good retailer. Now, they've got some relatively ordinary retailers, too, with Kmart and Target. They're not, not great businesses. But also, as you mentioned, a great industrials and, and chemicals business. Um, and it's a really good old-style investment conglomerate. They they don't... Have, West Farmers, as a, as, a, as a holding company, has no core 
operations per se. Everything's available for sale. Everything's available or could be purchased. Um, they're not wedded to anything in particular, which is a really great position to be in because you're really just asking them to, to be good stewards of shareholders' capital. And, and we're not tied to a particular business. If you're Qantas, you're in the airline business, right? So you're going to have less or more planes in the air, but you're not going to do anything different. When you're Westfarm, you say, well, you know, retail's been great, but it's actually now about chemicals or fertilizers or mining or, or anything else, really. There was talks at one point they might buy Ramsey Healthcare. Um, so you've got you've got basically the license to go anywhere as long as the returns are good for shareholders. And I said, I've got a couple of great businesses currently. The challenge for investors is a 22 times earnings. This doesn't obviously strike me as a particularly great value uh, retailer or, or, or investment conglomerate more broadly. Um, again, for all of the great qualities it has, I'm just not entirely sure you're going to be paying up for a business of even West Farmers quality. If you're an investor who likes conservative, uh, uh, yeah, stable cornerstone positions in your portfolio, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame anyone for owning West Farmers. If I owned them, frankly, I probably wouldn't be selling them. I don't think you need to rush out and get rid of them. The question is, is it likely at the current multiple of 22-odd times earnings to be a market beater from here? And I don't think that's obvious just because I don't think there's enough raw upside left. For a business that's 51-odd billion dollars, I think, um, in market cap, it's, it's a remarkably big company. And so to get enough growth in the businesses that it's in, which are relatively pedestrian, I think it's probably a big stretch. So I'm not going to say you should sell the shares if you own them, nor would I necessarily be buying them right now. I'd like to, and at a cheap price, I absolutely would. Uh, but for me, Amber, I'm going to make it a hold. A hold. So it's a hold from Scott Howard. Do you agree? Yeah, I'm pretty much with Scott. If you look at the 10-year history of its PE ratios, it's on about 22 now. But if you look through the 10 years, every single solitary year in the 10 years, it's been at some stage in the year below 20, and in fact, sometimes as low as 15. So if you're paying over 20 as a PE ratio for it, you're certainly overpaying by at least 10% if, if you're simply patient and wait for another time of the year. And PE ratios have been particularly high because interest rates have been low. Now that interest rates worldwide are rising, we would expect PE ratios logically to be lower in the next five years than they've been probably in the last 10. So the chances are you'd be able to pick up West Farmers anyway cheaper than it currently is. Very well-run business, but Scott described uh, earnings growth in the various businesses as pedestrian, and that's true. Their growth rate over the last 10 years of earnings per share is only a bit over 3%. Now, that will go up a little bit because of inflation, but they've been beating inflation by perhaps 1% or 2%. We would probably expect they'll carry on beating inflation by 1% or 2%. Now, that's pretty good for a big retailer, but you don't want to be paying a PE of 22 for something that marginally exceeds inflation. So very well-run business, great stewards of shareholder capital, not the time to buy it now. Uh, if you do own it, I'd agree with Scott, it's a hold. Were you helping the West Farm business by shopping at Bunnings like the rest of us, Howard? Uh, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not the greatest shopper at Bunnings. I've sort of got to the stage of life that I prefer not to do it myself and get others to do it. But my son uh, is is definitely one. You know, he, he's been uh, run the company, but he must find a reason to go to Bunnings at least once a week and buy something to do something he's, around That, that sounds uh, just like my husband. I, I'm just more partial to the uh, the sausage sandwich at the front, really. But uh, definitely our family spends a lot of money on Bunnings. Okay, let's move on to our next stock. It is Trajan Group Holdings. It's a global developer and manufacturer of analytical and life sciences products and devices. It has manufacturing sites across the globe. One of our viewers, Alex,
Alex says, when reviewed on the call previously, the experts mentioned that it was far too expensive and trading on high multiples. The price has now come back to its IPO levels and they were pleased with the annual report. Uh, Howard, what's your thought on Trajan Holdings? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, being in manufacturing, it's probably going to have relatively high uh, capital costs, in other words, being a fairly capital intensive business, not hugely so like a miner, but manufacturing is more capital intensive than servicing. So you wouldn't expect particularly high return on equity. And sure enough, it's return on equity for the one full year that we've got uh, as a listed company is only 4.1%. Now, with that low return on equity, um, team invest members would take one glance at it and say, move on, doesn't matter what the share price is. If it can only generate four cents for every dollar of shareholders' equity uh, in the business, uh, it's not worth investing in, and that's very true. Um, the second thing, of course, is anything that's uh, so newly listed, we really don't know how they're going to perform as a listed company. And one must always remember that uh, when a company's doing an IPO, the documentation they provide for the IPO is really marketing. Uh, it's marketing within the law. You, you, you put the uh, best picture forward that you can paint of the company that your lawyers uh, approve and ASIC will allow you to get away with. So you always want to be very careful of getting carried away by IPOs. And this one, um, you know, it's got debt equity of but over 50%, not all that high for a manufacturer, but higher probably than we'd like in Team Invest. But its return on equity is so low that we wouldn't give it a second glance. So a buy, hold or a sell from you, Howard? Oh, if you owned it a sell as far as we're concerned. I don't think any Team Invest member would have ever considered buying it. Uh, do you agree, Scott, with Howard that it's a sell? Uh, look, probably, Amron. How's done a great job of describing, I think, some of the challenges that that confront Trajan in terms of the opportunities it's trying to it's trying to capitalise on, and that kind of maybe is the only investment case for this one. As Howard mentioned, um, not only has it not made much money, it's forty nine times earnings currently, which is clearly astronomically higher than the market. If you're buying shares at the current price, even despite the recent pullbacks, you're basically saying to yourself, I think this is a business that can generate meaningfully higher sales and profits into the future. Now, plenty have. With as a, as a, you know, the, the ASX is replete with great success stories of businesses that were once tiny, tiny businesses are now fantastically larger. Think about the CSLs, the Commonwealth Banks, uh, Domino's, I own shares in Domino's, uh, plenty of others besides. You know, the, these are businesses that have gone on to become much bullies, gone on to become much, much bigger businesses over time. Now, you didn't have to buy them at 49 times earnings necessarily back in the day, but these businesses can go on to deliver these sorts of returns. And I don't think you want to rule out that potential. The question is how it alludes to is simply, are you prepared to look at the risk reward trade off and say, yes, I think I can make money with this one. And moreover, yes, I think I can make enough money to keep up with the market. Otherwise, as we've said before, uh, buy the market, buy, buy a very low cost index ETF and go fishing. Um, so if you're not gonna do that, then you wanna be, you wanna be looking at a business you think can beat the market. Now it's in an attractive part of the area as Howard says, lots of buzzwords in the in the uh, in, in the kind of corporate uh, announcements and presentations. That said, that you know they are genuinely trying to do these things, and I think it absolutely pays to be sceptical as an investor, but also aware enough to say, well, maybe these companies can possibly uh, strike some opportunity. Now they sell a lot of consumables, which means repeat purchase, which is generally a positive thing. Notwithstanding Howard's point, which is valid about if you're in manufacturing. Is capital intensive and probably low margin. But if you can get enough growth in, in consumption, 
of those consumables, you're in a good place. It's also in the in the or trying to get into the personalized medicine space. And I think if you look forward, imagine 10, 20 years from now, I mean, just think the iPhone's 12 years old, right? So whenever you think about what might happen in the next 10 or 12 or 20, um, remember how far we've come technologically. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if we're all using personalized medicine to one form or another. And Trajan want to be in that space. So I wouldn't rule out the potential. The challenge is you've got to look at an investment idea and say, probabilistically, are they likely to get there? Is this likely to be a good price to pay? Those are two really difficult questions to answer. I don't. I do agree with Howard. I don't think I'd buy them at the current price if I own them. Here's the challenge, right? If you already own the shares, you probably own them because you believe in the long-term story. So I'm coming from a very different perspective, saying, well, if I wouldn't buy them at 50 times earnings and it's not obviously good value, if you if someone gave them to me tomorrow, I would sell them. Absolutely would sell them. But that's because I take a view that I don't think the risk reward is a, is a good trade-off. If you've already owned them, or you own them because you like the story or you believe in the long-term perspective, then a cheaper price does represent a more attractive opportunity. So objectively, no, I think it's a sell. But if you own them already, you probably own them for hopefully the right reasons. Hopefully you weren't just caught up in the in the buzzwords. If you were, then a time to, to reevaluate. But if you weren't and you like the story, I imagine people hanging around at a cheaper price. Just be careful that you don't get caught up in what they call the endowment effect. Just because you own them doesn't mean they're worth more. Um, if I had them, as I said today, I'd probably sell them and buy something else. It seemed to be a better risk reward trade-off. Okay, great. Let's move on to our next stock, which is from Frank. He wants to know about Nine Entertainment, which of course is a huge media company spanning radio, television, newspapers and digital media. I, of course, full disclosure, I also work for Nine. Uh, Scott, what's your take on Nine Entertainment Holdings? Yeah, Emma, can I say both media and retail are two fascinating sectors for me right now for the same sorts of reasons. That's largely the market seems to have left them for dead. Uh, Nine currently trading on nine and a half times earnings despite what was a really, really good set of numbers that the company released recently in terms of the growth of, of their revenues and profits. And so you look at that, you look at, look at some of the retailers which are trading on similar multiples and you say, well, overall, if I bought enough companies and under 10 times earnings, would I on average make money? I think, yeah, you'd probably make a decent amount of money because generally speaking, that sort of value opportunity doesn't go missing by the market for long. And eventually one of two things happens. Either profits fall and the PE goes up or things start to improve price-wise because the market's recognising that profitability is actually something that's pretty attractive and, and pretty worthwhile having. So that's the broader media sector. And I've got to say, I know you work for Nine. I, I do appear on Nine's uh, TV and radio sometimes, though I don't get paid to do so. So uh, I, I don't have any, any dog in this particular fight. But I do think Nine is doing a great job <coughs> excuse me, of being... Uh, at or near the top of the pops, that the news division that, that I know you're part of, Amber, um, that has done a wonderful job and is winning the ratings almost nationwide. Um, the sports coverage is fantastic and the, the growth there is, is really, really good. The question for most investors looking out three and five years is, what is the media landscape at that point? Uh, live sport, news and current affairs and reality television programming seem to be the three core prongs of media business, traditional media businesses these days. Uh, of course, you've got radio on top with Nine and, and the newspaper, so it's a little bit different again. But the question is, how long can they remain relevant and how long can they remain um, money spinners for the media networks? And the moment the market has, as it almost effectively left them for dead, I think that's a mistake. I really think there's value left in those businesses. Now, it doesn't mean you have to lock up your shares for five or 10 years. If things start to deteriorate, you can always sell your shares. I haven't got a buy on Nine right now, I have to say, but at nine and a half times earnings, it is too cheap for me to ignore. I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit, Amber. I'm going to call it a speculative buy. I think yep. I said before with some of these opportunities, individually, is this one the one that's going to do well? I don't know. But if you could give me an opportunity to buy a dozen businesses with a PE of nine and a half, 
I'm pretty sure I'd make some money because I think generally speaking, there's an opportunity in that part of the market and broadly enough, you'll do well. So uh, I, I'm always reticent about saying nine is definitely going to be a market leader from here, but I think it's a very, very good chance. And I think if you have a bit of a risk tolerance and you're prepared to have a diversified portfolio, I think nine is part of that's probably a good buy. Okay, speculated buy from Scott Howard. What are your thoughts on nine? Yeah, um, uh, the numbers actually look pretty good. I mean, it's uh, for for a media company to have a return on equity of more than ten percent for at least some of the years, and the last few years it has, some of the years it hasn't. That's not bad for a media company. The biggest problem with media companies has always been that what really drives your success is your ratings, and your ratings is driven largely by the popularity often of the people working in the media. So Amber, you know, whatever program you're on at any one time, if the ratings go up enormously and uh, 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 somebody comes along, taps you on the shoulder and says, come and work for us instead of for nine. So um, the biggest assets are the talent that appear on the television. And those great talent that appears on television or radio for that matter, tend to get poached by one of the opposition companies the moment they're doing exceptionally well. So predicting where in the investment will go over five years is really tough. Our members of Team Investor are long-term investors. And while you can make a case for any company, you really want to own only about 20 companies, maybe 25, in your portfolio. And on that basis, you want to choose the 20 or 25 most likely to succeed companies on the entire stock market that whose earnings will be materially higher and hence their share price and their dividends will be materially higher five plus years from now. Now, I think Nine's doing a terrific job at the moment and their numbers look really good for the sort of company they're in. But could I put my hand on my heart and say their earnings will be materially high in five years time? And the answer is no, because if a couple of the most talented people get poached, um, all of a sudden, one of the other channels will be doing very much better. So they're the kind of company that Team Invest members steer clear of because we cannot predict how they're likely to do in the next five years. So is it a buy, hold, so or a sell? Hold or a sell? Uh, uh, probably. A, uh, well, I would normally say a sell, but the PE ratio is so low that probably a hold. If you already own it, uh, carry on holding it because you're getting, you know, the, the share prices. Relatively low because of the low PE, but I wouldn't be buying it. I don't think Team Invest members would be buying it. But as Scott says, it's hard to ignore a company with a low PE when its earnings are doing fine at the time. Okay, great. Let's move on to our next stock, which is from Reese, who wants to know about Dreadnought Resources. They're a West Australian mineral explorer focused on finding the metals. It currently has three main projects. Howard, is this a buy, hold, or a sell for you? Oh, most definitely a sell. Um, you know, uh, probably a lot of our Team Invest members describe companies like this as instead of you being a shareholder in the company, the company is a shareholder in your bank account. And the reason the company is a shareholder in your bank account is it keeps doing capital raisings. And if you look at Dreadnought Resources, it looks to me uh, by the number of shares on issue that it's had something like uh, five or six different capital raisings at least over the last 10 years. So what's really happening is they have shares in your bank account. You keep giving them money instead of the other way around, which they use to drill holes and pay their staff. 
Now, that's great for the staff and it's great for the drilling companies that they pay to drill holes. But as a shareholder, you want to put money into a company once and you want them to give you money each year thereafter <laughs> in the form of dividends. Plus, you want to get a capital gain. If they keep coming back to you and saying, that bank account that we share in that you have, can we have some more of it every now and then? Um, that, to me, is not a logical thing for anybody who's an investor to consider. Speculators, gamblers, sure, it's a bit like going to the casino where, you know, once you walk in, um, they've got a small share, much smaller than doing capital raisings, in your bank account because in all probability you're going to go home with less than you came and that's how they design. Now, I'm not saying this company is deliberately designed that way, but that's what its results are. Um, and, and team invest members describe these as uh, they have a share of shareholding in your bank account. Uh, Scott, I can hear you chuckling there. Uh, what do you think of Howard's <laughs> comments? <laughs> I, I like it a lot. I like the analogy, Howard. I, I was I was going to go with something similar in terms of your gambling, mate. It was almost like uh, when you when you when the you know the, the pub on a Saturday night and your mates in there you know putting putting money on the greyhounds is mate. Just give me another ten bucks, and if, if I win, I'll, I'll give you some back. And that's kind of the, the story. And again, I think Howard's right actually to talk about the fact that it's not necessarily you're saying the company itself is out there to do the wrong thing. They they're very very no. clear about what they're trying to do. And they're, they're pretty much saying to shells, look, here's the thing. We're a gold explorer, right? We're out there with our, our picks and shovels, metaphorically speaking, and we're going to keep digging. And we're going to hopefully eventually find something. If that's something you want to take a punt on, and I think punt is probably the right word, then we're a great way for you to do that. Because, hey, if we strike it rich, then you'll do fantastically well. And history has plenty of examples of companies that have done exactly that. And hope does spring eternal, especially among Australians. We'd bet on two flies crawling up a wall, as, uh, as we famously say. So there is very much that story of simply, you know, can, can it be done? And and probably not. Honestly, statistically speaking, most of these companies end up, as Howard says, using more of shareholders' capital and actually returning that capital. So it's not a great risk reward. It's not a, not a great, again, like I talked about probabilistic bets before. It's not a great probabilistic bet. You're, you're probably going to lose money. But same thing with Lotto, right? Just because someone wins Lotto doesn't mean, it, mean it's a great bet, but we all still play Lotto. Why? Because we all like to think maybe one day it might be us. And maybe it's the next Fortescue. Maybe it's the next something else. That's why people invest their money. But to Howard's point, you need to know that the chances of success are very slight and you're probably going to have to either pony up more money or if you don't, by the way, the other the other way Howard's analogy works out is you simply say, no, thank you. And they say, well, you used to own 1% of the company. Now you own half a percent. We raise more capital, you'll own a quarter of a percent or a tenth of a percent. And so your ownership interest falls if you don't pony up more cash or if you do pony up more cash, then that money can can be basically used by the company in hopes of finding striking a rich. And they're all... They're legitimately trying to do the right thing, right? Again, it's really important. We say we're not saying these companies are out there trying to destroy capital, yeah. but they know the game sure. that we're playing, and the shareholders should as well, because they're saying we're going to try this low, this you know high risk, low probability outcome. Do you want to have some of that? If you're saying yes, then knock yourself out. But as how it says, it's a gamble, it's a punt, it's not an investment. I would be selling as well if I own this one. Okay, it's a double sell from Scott and Howard. Let's move on to our next stop, which is from Tim, who wants to know about IDP Education. Now, this company is an international education organisation offering language testing and student placement across the globe. Uh, Scott, this stock was certainly trending higher this morning after they announced a new acquisition. What are your thoughts on this one? IDP is really hard, Amber. It's, it's, a, it's a really expensive, it's a $7.5 billion market cap, by the way. This is a really big business. And as you say, in student placement and language services, so there's two parts of its business, largely bringing international students into Australia and doing English language um, education and testing. And that has historically been a great business and a great business model because 
again, let's go back to pre-COVID, back to February, before February 2020. Um, Australia loved international students and international students loved Australia. It was a great pathway for everybody. Everyone was pretty happy with the unis made some money, the, the students got tested and, and, uh, and qualified and IDP uh, made a lot of money on the process. Over the past two and a half years, that's of course been a very, very different story and the numbers are all over the place. The challenge right now is even on, even on some sort of bounce back numbers, uh, the P I've got in front of me is 75 times earnings. Now that's not a very cheap price. I'm sure it's probably the biggest understatement we'll make today. Um, that ex that requires a lot to go right from here. It requires business to return to not just normal, but above normal. It requires IDP to continue to deliver more and more and more placement services into Australia and around the world as well. And it can do, it is doing more global business. So there is that as well. But a lot is expected of a business with a PE of 75 that it simply has to deliver on to get to that sort of level. So no matter how good the business is, this is also really important, right? There's the business and there's the share price. The business isn't responsible for the share price, at least not directly. It's not IDP's fault that's trading on 75 times earnings. Now, the CEO's probably happy with it and maybe might be remunerated based on the share price, but it's investors who decide how much to pay for these shares. I don't think there are many businesses I would pay 75 times earnings for. And if I was going to, it'd have to be one with really, really strong long-term track record and then future expectations that were pretty, nothing's ever locked in, but pretty certain, right? You're paying 75 times earnings. Remember, the market average is closer to 15. So just to make my maths easy, about five times the market average. That means a heck of a lot needs to go right for IDP education from the current price. I just can't come at the price. I like the business. It's a really, when you're serving two parties, and you're connecting the dots, it can be a really lucrative way to do business. So it's a really nice business model, but unfortunately at the current price, I just can't say anyone should be buying the shares. And I have to say if I own them at this multiple, I'd be selling, particularly because some of the future revenues and future profits are still uncertain because we don't yet know how many students will be returning either to Australia or around the world in terms of international student travel. And that one's a big question mark for me, despite, or as well as I should say, uh, the high PE. Uh, Howard Scott says a sell. Do you agree with him? Um, simply because the P is very high. I actually like the business more than Scott does. I've, I've known the business reasonably well because my daughter for a number of years uh, worked as the head of marketing for their main opposition. So I understand the business they're in really well. And despite the pandemic, they did remarkably well during the pandemic. They were still profitable. They still made money. Didn't make as much money as they were making pre-pandemic. Um, but they've returned to profits greater than they were getting pre-pandemic. So the business looks good, but Scott makes a very good point about PE ratios. If you look at the history of markets in developed countries around the world, PE ratios of more than 40 have not been sustainable long term for any business. There's no company that has continued trading for any long period of time on a PE ratio of more than about 40. The only time P or times that PE ratios get about 40 is when money becomes virtually free. Interest rates are close to zero. Now, we've had the lowest interest rates in history recently. Hardly surprisingly, we've had astronomic and unsustainable PE ratios. So PE of 75 makes me shudder. Um, I like the business. It's got a high return on equity. Its debt's reasonably low. The kind of business it's in is likely to grow once everybody gets a bit more over the pandemic. Earnings are currently growing. But at 75 PE, not only is a hell of a lot got to go right, you've got to assume interest rates aren't going to rise much more. And seeing as we're pretty sure that they are, um, all these companies that are on incredibly high PE ratios, um, their PEs are going to come tumbling down 
which could mean, you know, that the, the share price could halve or worse than that. So lovely company. If it was on a PE of 35 instead of 75, I would get enthusiastic about it. But it's a 75 PE. Yeah, it'd be a sell for me too. Okay, it is a double sell. Let's summarise the first five stocks we've chatted about today as well as the stock of the day. Uh, stock of the day, of course, was New Hope. Uh, Scott says sell, one of the best coal companies in the country. The challenge is the coal prices and the share price. Howard also said sell for New Hope. You don't want to be investing when commodity prices are high. There's only one direction to go and that is down. If you want some exposure to New Hope, buy Sol Patterson instead. Okay, let's take a look at Wes Farmers. Uh, Scott said it's a hold, really likes the Wes Farmers business. Bunnings office works are some of the good retailers. Um, it's not tied to a particular business, but it doesn't strike him as particularly good value. Howard is also a hold for Wes Farmer's growth rate is slow, but beating inflation very well run, just not the time to buy it now. Okay, let's move on to Trajan Group. Uh, Scott says a sell, but a hold if you believe in the long-term perspective. It could strike opportunity, wouldn't rule out the potential, but just wouldn't buy them at the current price, while Howard says a sell high on capital costs, and it is a newly listed company. Moving on to nine. Scott says it's a speculative buy from him. What is the media landscape, new sport and reality? How long can they maintain relevancy? Uh, Howard, a hold if you already own it. The numbers look pretty good. Uh, if you only want 20 to 25 companies in portfolio, you've got to have a look about uh, you know where you're investing. So a hold from Howard, a speculative buy from Scott. Let's take a look at Dreadnought Resources. Uh, it was a double sell from the experts today. Scott said a sell. Most companies like use shareholders capital. You're probably going to lose money. Maybe not. The chances of success are small, but they're not impossible. Howard says most definitely a sell. They have a share in your bank account. It is a gamble. And lastly, IDP Education. Scott says sell 75 times earnings. It's too expensive, five times the market average. So a lot has to go right. While Howard also says it's a sell too expensive despite the pandemic. They did do remarkably well and the business looks good, but uh, it's still a sell from Howard. All right, the call is tracking our very own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch at osbiz.com. So let's check in with that portfolio update. So when we were heading into September, we took out a few stocks, including uh, Universal Store, Next DC, the Lottery Court, ResMed and Oz Minerals. So they were the ones that were removed. Uh, Karoon Energy, Boss Resources, Washington H, Soul Pats, we've spoken about them today. Premier Investments and South 32 were added. Let's, talk, let's have a look about how that portfolio is performing. So far, our fund is up 0.65% on a cumulative return basis since inception on March the 1st. So please keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, it's time to take a look at our second set of five stocks. We are going to take a look at NRW Holdings, Treasury Wines, Clovercorp, Zero, and Hartshead Resources. So let's first up look at NRW Holdings. Now, Ben wants to know the expert's opinion on this construction and mining contractor. It has headquarters in Perth but has contracts across the country. Let's go first to you, Howard. Uh, what do you think of this stock? Well, in the industries that it's in, it's actually a very well-regarded company, but... Um, with 
uh, inflation rising, they're often signing up long-term contracts. So to, in, for instance, infrastructure construction, where they give a fixed price contract over the long term. Now, that's fine when there's no inflation or virtually no inflation. When inflation is high and your margins are relatively low, that's a scary place to be. And that's probably the reason why the PE ratio is relatively low. Its return on equity is pretty good for the kind of business it's in. It had one disastrous year in 2015, where it lost an enormous amount of money. But other than that, it's made profits each year. Um, earnings per share in the last few years have grown because of all the infrastructure work and more mining work that's going on. But my concern would be with a company like this, that unless you really knew the business well, and you knew that all their long-term contracts had inflation protection built in, which would be very unlikely. Um, the, if inflation keeps on being high, uh, there could well come a time where they get themselves into trouble. So uh, definitely a, a sell from me, despite the fact that the numbers look reasonably good at the moment. Uh, Scott, do you agree with Howard that it's a sell? I'm going to be slightly less pessimistic, but not much. I'm going to call it a hold and just am, because Howard's absolutely right. The inflation protection, we've seen builders right across the country go broke in the last six months. We will unfortunately see more in the next six months because they don't have inflation upticks in their contracts. And so what happens is when prices go up or the costs go up, They've signed fixed price contracts. What happens in the middle? The margins get squeezed and that's taken quite a few to the wall. And Howard's absolutely right to be concerned about anyone who is normally, generally in these areas, quoting largely on cost plus type contracts to how you win these things. Normally skinny margins, not a lot of room for error when it comes to costings. And no one, you know, to be fair, we're only what, nine months, maybe 12 months into this higher inflation environment. If you signed a contract 15 months ago, no one was expecting inflation to be of this size and for this duration. So I don't really blame them for getting it wrong, at least uh, without the benefit of hindsight, but it is something investors need to be worried about. On top of that, though, even with NRW, I think it's it's a very cyclical business, really volatile earnings. And the last year's earnings were the second highest in the last 10 years and, and the highest in the last nine. So, you know, it, it's, it doesn't mean it can't go higher, but if you see a cyclical business or a business with volatile earnings and it's trading at about the best it's done in a long time, you're probably going to suggest that on average, the future's probably going to be not quite as attractive as the past. So that's the real challenge. Profits may be lower over the next five or 10 years on average than they were in the last year, which means you've got to be careful with your valuation metric. Why I say it's still a hold, though, for what it's worth, there's only trading about 11 times earnings. So for all of the things I just said, it's not particularly expensive. It's not particularly cheap, but it's not particularly expensive. And I think that for me is why I'd probably, if I held it, I wouldn't be rushing out to sell at the current price. I think it's probably okay value. Um, you do want to make sure, to Howard's point, you see uh, the whites of management eyes and make sure they've done the things to make sure their businesses are inflation protected. And you want to make sure that they do have an expectation or at least a reasonable probability of higher profits or at least the same level of profits uh, moving forward. But those risks are present. So too cheap to sell, not cheap enough and, and probably with too many risks to be buying. That puts me right in the middle of a hold. Okay, it's a hold from Scott and a sell from Howard. Let's move on to stock seven, which is from Connor. He wants to know about Treasury Wines, which is one of the world's largest wine companies listed on the ASX. Their wines are sold in more than 70 countries and, of course, the parent company to many brands, including Penfolds, Wolfglass and Lindemans. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on this one? 
So I should declare uh, two things, Amber. Firstly, I own shares in Treasury. Second, I don't mine a drop. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably biased on, on both. You're in on good company. <laughs> exactly. So look, here's the, here's the Treasury thing. Um, they got absolutely smashed when China effectively banned the importation of Australian wine a couple of years ago. Uh, it didn't exactly ban it, but the, the, the tariffs are 100 and something percent. Uh, it made it absolutely um, cost prohibitive. And by the way, when the Chinese Communist Party says, we're going to put tariffs on this because we don't like Australia at the moment, most loyal party members aren't going to say, well, I'll buy it anyway. So you've got the tariffs and you've got the reality of the government saying, you know, Australian wine kind of persona non grata, uh, how about give it a miss? And that absolutely wrecked uh, the, 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 the Treasury story. The growth in wines going to China was phenomenal. They were getting 20% volume growth and then 20% price growth a year. For wine going to China, that was Australia across the border, I should say, not just Treasury. But Treasury is getting a very large share of that. Of course, the brands you've already mentioned, generally speaking, high-priced wines. Grange released the other day for $1,000 a bottle for the most recent vintage. Uh, so these are these are really good wines. They've done a fantastic job of premiumizing the portfolio. They've really managed to take what was a terrible economics industry. Um, you, you get the grapes, you put it in barrels, you leave it there for years, incurring cost after cost after cost, and eventually you might get to sell it. Um, they weren't making the margins they needed to. So they've fixed that, which is a great situation to be in. The Chinese uh, ban or effective ban really did take the wind out of the sails for Treasury. But here's where I think we're at now, is I think the business is probably reasonably priced for Australian, the Australian business is a cash cow business, right? We all know the brands, we all drink the brands, we all love the brands, or at least most of us do. Um, it's, it's a business that Australians know, love, and, and drink regularly. The growth in America seems to be back on, on par. They really did mess that up for a couple of years. That seems to be fixed. And Europe's going okay. So there's those things going on. China at the moment is, is probably worth almost nothing in the share price. And I think that's an opportunity for investors because worst case scenario, I think you're buying a business which is pretty fairly priced I think that the volume opportunity and the price opportunity are there in those markets I've already talked about to roughly make the share price, I think, a, a pretty good value. Maybe a little bit of value, maybe a little bit under value, but pretty close to fair value. If and when, I think it's when, the Chinese business recovers. This is why I own the shares, by the way. I think if and when the Chinese business recovers, if Australian wine returned to the shelves in China, all of a sudden we're off to the races. And that opportunity there, I think, is where we'll see meaningful incremental sales and profits. And if it does happen, all of a sudden the shares look pretty cheap. So heads, I think you win. Tails, you probably don't lose much. That's a pretty good bet for me. So probabilistically, again, I'll use that word. I'll try to use it anymore after this, Amber. Um, but that, that's why I own Treasury. I think it's why it's worth buying. So I think it's a buy. Um, there, there is some downside risk if China never, ever accepts Australian wine again. But I think that is pretty unlikely. And if and when it happens, I think we'll do pretty well. Scott says it's a buy. Howard, do you agree with Scott's point of view? Yeah, not really. Um, there are too many ifs there. Um, yeah. I really appreciate the fact that they're moving up market and getting rid of the worst brands. I'm definitely a big wine fan. I used to have a wine cellar under my house in South Africa with 3,000 bottles in it. Uh, when I came to Australia, I didn't have the same sort of money that I had in South Africa. So I couldn't afford the kind of house I had there with the wine cellar that I had there. Um, so, but I like drinking good wines. I, if I'm going to drink wine at all, I want to drink really, really good wines. So the fact that they're going up market, please carry on. Uh, that's wonderful. But the return on equity, like all companies connected with agriculture in any form, tends to be low. They've only had return on equity of more than 10% twice in the last 10 years. And it wasn't the last two years either. It was 2019 and 2021, 2022 back down again. So yes, if a lot of things happen in their favor in terms of China opening up, getting into India in a substantial way, 
they could do wonderfully well. But again, coming back to my point earlier, you only want to own 20 or 25 companies in your portfolio. Would this be one of the 20 or 25 that you would regard as giving you the highest probability of having uh, earnings per share being materially high in five years time? In other words, that your capital will gain and your dividends will grow. And on that basis, I'd say no, but certainly I wish them well. I hope they keep on making better wine and um, uh, I hope they're successful. So that is a sell from you? Um, if you own it and you feel good about it, maybe a hold. But uh, uh, if I actually owned it, I'd sell it because I could put it somewhere better, I think, than where it is, even though I enjoy drinking the wine. Okay, great. <laughs> Don't we all? I wish I could have been a guest when you lived in South Africa with 3,000 wine bottles in your cellar. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> we actually had a tasting room in the cellar too, so we would actually have cheese and wine parties oh, and stop talking. in the tasting room. It was, it was a really good life, put it oh, that way. It sounds fabulous. All right, let's move on to our eighth uh, viewer pick. It's from Jessica, and she wants to know about Clovercorp, which aims to deliver science-based bioactives which provide health benefits to adults and children. Some of their products include DHA oils and powders, which can be added to baby formula, as well as food and beverages. Howard, what's your take on this one? Uh, it's a fairly small company, but it's always been doing pretty good stuff. Up until 2013, it used to pass our filters. It had high return on equity, uh, zero debt at that time, if I remember correctly, and its earnings were growing, but it was pretty small, pretty thinly traded. So members felt that it was difficult to get in and out of, but we, we liked the company. Um, it then went through a really bad patch where return on equity dropped down to only just being above zero. Um, it's it since recovered again since 2017, and I'm just looking across at my other graph or uh, computer, and for the last six years, return on equities passed. Earnings per share has been growing at about 7% a year over the last half a dozen years, and it's got very little debt. So it looks good from all those points of view. Um, P at almost 30 is pretty high for this particular company. Um, if you look at its low PEs for the year, uh, in most years, you could buy it at a PE of less than 20. So at some point during that year. So to be buying it at a PE of almost 30 is pretty expensive. Uh, but the company itself seems to be back on track and doing rather well. So. Uh, if you owned it, probably you wouldn't want to sell it. If you don't own it, you may want to put it on your watch list and wait till its PE comes back down to sub 20, which with high interest rates is quite likely uh, and has done even when interest rates have been low. Most years it's got below 20 uh, and, and pick it up rather than then now. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on Clover? <laughs> Yeah, I think I was done a, a really nice job summarising the, the, the risks and opportunities for the business. I think if you're in, in these omega-3, effectively fish oil, fish oil type derivatives. So a couple of things. Firstly, it's a really narrow product range. That's all you do. And if you're in that kind of manufacturing space of a single commodity, that's generally pretty risky to start with. Now, you can name exceptions, of course, by definition. But end of the day, uh, you're in manufacturing, you're a single commodity or a single product. And it's a relatively undifferentiated product. Now, the company will probably tell you that's very differentiated for X, Y, and Z reasons. And I'm sure they're right. But the reality is trying to create or manufacture fish oil or DHA, omega-3, call it what you want, is not a particularly difficult or particularly 
um, differentiated exercise. And so you're kind of competing with lots of players locally and internationally who can or will do the same sorts of things. Um, I used to work for Blackmores back in the day. And, and the same thing was true with some of those. Vitamin C, for example, super easy to get to, uh, super easy to, to, to manufacture. And then again, lots of other similar, similar products, nutritional supplements. So it's a really difficult one because they don't have a lot of brand value. They're not offering a brand premium to consumers. Um, and as I said, one product, one commodity. It's also true if you look at their financials that they've been a bit volatile. Last couple of years haven't been great profit-wise, but three years ago, their profit was about 50% higher. And then to, to Howard's point, you know, you get you get a, a low PE for two ways: either the price falls or profits rise. Um, either of those two things can come come to come to fall, come to the fall, sorry, and, and deliver some sort of opportunity for investors. The challenge, I think, is working out what a long-term profit growth story looks like. I don't think there's a lot of evidence from Clover that it can either or has been able to scale sales or profits, or B manage to charge a decent enough brand premium to really juice profits in a, in a meaningful way. And that puts it to my mind as kind of a tier two-ish level company. You Ideally, you want, or I say ideally again, to Howard's point of 20 to 25 companies, you want to buy businesses with branding power, right? You want businesses with pricing power. You want businesses that people will go some, out, some way out of their way to get to or pay over the odds to, to, to deal with. Um, and Clover doesn't really seem to be that business. So it's an okay business. It's been okay, moderately successful for an extended period of time. Nothing to write home about. I don't see sales or profits growing meaningfully. That's another reason to avoid paying too much. You know, PEs can be justified by long-term, you know, serious levels of growth. They come down really quickly if you do that. If you can't get growth, even a cheap PE can look expensive over time. So no, I'd, I'd probably give this one a miss. It has been a favorite among some investors for a long time, but I don't see enough to love Clover, unfortunately. Is it a sell? Um, yeah, I think it has to be probably at 30 yep. times earnings. I don't think you can avoid it. Okay. Let's move on to our ninth, ninth stock, which is from Peter, who wants to know about Xero, which is a New Zealand-based tech company providing cloud-based accounting software for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, Scott, what do you think of this one? Yeah, let's go back to the same theme because Xero's uh, growth has been astronomical for such a long time. This is already a really big business, super large business. And yet last year, they managed to grow their customer count by 19% and their revenue by 30% in constant currency. Those are remarkable numbers for a business of zero size and scale and, and frankly longevity. It's not been around for all that long, but it kind of revolutionized and, and almost created a category of cloud accounting. It's probably the, the Australasian, the first Australasian example of a software as a service business that we now talk about pretty regularly on the call and other, way, other places on Ausbiz. Um, it, it's a, it is the granddaddy in Australasia of, of that sort of business model. They've done such a great job over a really long period of time to grow and compound at really, really high rates. Right now, they're spending upwards of, I think it's 37% of revenue though, on sales and marketing. So despite how much revenue it's managing to grow and how quickly it's delivering more and more customers, it's plowing literally almost every dollar back into either sales and marketing, running the business or research and development. In fact, um, the, the profit's pretty much single digit million dollars, I think from memory, because it literally is taking a, a, taking a very clear strategy of saying, we're gonna take all the money we're making and plow it back into future growth. Now that can either be really, really, really smart. And I'll hold out Amazon, a business I own, as an example of that, where they just for 25 years have plowed almost everything back into growth. And now this global behemoth. Of course, if you get it wrong and you can never earn profits, then it's just profitless prosperity. You grow this business, you never quite deliver a dollar. And all of a sudden you, you've done nothing for shareholders, but, uh, but spent a lot of time at trying to grow a business that isn't worth much. So it's so a buy, hold, or sell? <laughs> I'll make it a buy particularly at the current price, it's almost halved in the last 12 months. I think the price is too good to ignore. Make it a buy, I think. A buy. It's a buy from Scott. Howard, do you agree? 
No, it's a sell. It's on a PE ratio of 860. <laughs> um, you know, 860 PE, even if it was 86, it would be a sell. Um, <clears throat> it's all very well to say that it's been growing spectacularly. But if I stood on a street corner in the corner of George Street and Bridge Street, I've said this before on here, and if I gave away brand new Ferraris for $10,000 each, the first little while I wouldn't sell very many of them because people would think I'm a charlatan. Then they'd re if they realized it was true, a couple of people would buy them. The next month, more people would buy them. The next month, more people would buy them. And my sales would go up absolutely wonderfully. <laughs> the trouble is I'd be losing money. And that's what these kind of companies do. They sell things for more than it actually costs them to do the marketing and get the product. And it sounds great because the company's getting bigger and bigger and bigger revenue. But revenue is vanity. Profits are sanity. Um, you know, uh, uh, in the end, as a shareholder, you don't share in the revenue the company makes. You share in the profits that the company makes. And, you know, after more than 10 years of being listed, I don't even remember when they got listed, but my uh, software shows 10 years worth of history. It's only in the last three years even made a profit at all. And it's made absolutely peanuts profit, you know, uh, the, for the size of revenue that it's doing. Its profit is laughably low. So it's it's like the story of Ferraris at $10,000. Um, unless they can find a way of charging a hell of a lot more for their products than they've been charging, uh, it, this is not an investable business, in, in, in my opinion. And at a PE of 860, it's most definitely a sell. Okay, disagreement okay. with the expert today. Scott says a buy, Howard says a sell. Let's go to our final stock of the day. It is from Jeff. He wants to know about Heartshead Resources. Now, the company has a license which contains multiple gas fields, some of which have only been partially developed. They also have several exploration prospects. Uh, Jeff says, uh, it was mentioned by one of the experts on Friday's the last call on Ausbiz. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on this one? No, not for me. I, I, have a, I have a hunch that Hal and I might actually agree on this one, Amber, but we'll, we'll see how we go. <laughs> uh, look, they've only made profits two years out of the last 10. Uh, that's not a great situation to be in. Uh, that European uh, energy fields uh, is a fine place to be. These sort of businesses, they're not miles away from gold explorers. They're trying to find acreage they can develop and hopefully drill to deliver meaningful amounts of hydrocarbons, oil or gas. Um, it's it, Again, it's... It's a, it's, a, it's a worthwhile exercise for people who are prepared to punt a decent amount of money on the chance they might find something they could be able to commercialise and they might be able to do it profitably at large enough scale. Um, so, look, is it possible I can make some money? Yes. Is it possible the price goes higher from here? Yes. Is it likely? I don't think so. I think the probability is not in their favour. So, no, I'm going to say this one's a sell for me. Um, again, is it a punt? Yeah, you can have a go. Maybe, maybe you even do okay if you're lucky. Uh, but it requires too much luck, so no, it's a sell. Howard, we're almost out of time. Is it a buy, hold yeah. or sell from you? I'm exactly the same. It's a sell. Once again, it's a company that's had numerous capital raisings, keeps coming and asking for more money from shareholders. I'm not suggesting, uh, in case anybody got it wrong earlier, that that's in any way dishonest. But this is not an investment. At best, it's a gamble. And in fact, your probabilities on a roulette wheel are significantly higher than they are on unprofitable companies becoming profitable. So um, if you really want to have a punt, casinos give you far better odds than explorers uh, ever do. Okay. Thanks for your expert opinions today. Let's summarise the second half of the show. Uh, for NRW Holdings, Scott, 
It was a hold, I think, or it's too cheap to sell. So it's not particularly expensive. It's okay value. Is that right? You said a hold, it's too yep, cheap to it's sell. A hold. Yep. yep. Howard says a sell with worries about inflation. If we move on to Treasury wine, Scott says a buy. They got smashed when China put tariffs on Australian wines. So China's worth nothing at the share price. That's the opportunity there. Howard says if you own it, it's a hold, but possibly a sell. There's just too many ifs. Uh, Clover Corp, Scott says a sell, a narrow product range, which is risky. Financials have been a bit volatile. Howard says a hold if you already own shares, put it on your watch list if you don't own it. Uh, Zero, Scott says a buy, good revenue, but plowing nearly every dollar back into future growth. Howard says a sell. It sounds great because the company is getting bigger, but as an investor, you don't share in the revenue, you share in the profits. And from Hartshead Resources, it is a sell from both Scott and Howard. Just quickly, Scott, out of all the stocks we've talked about today, which one excites you the most? Oh, really good question, Amber. Uh, I'm mindful of how is this mislove it, but I'm going to say zero with nine, a close second for sheer potential upside. And Howard, which which stock excites you the most today? <laughs> I'd say probably IDP Education would be my uh, number one, with probably nine Education my number two. But in terms of their products, my favourite is definitely Treasury Wines. But I'd rather... <laughs> We all, we all agree with that. Uh, look, that does wrap up the program. A big thank you to Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool and Howard Coleman from Team Invest. It's been great to have you on the show today. We really appreciate your expert opinions. And any stocks you'd like us to cover, please flick us an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us at, at osbiztv. And a reminder where to find all the stocks we have in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. I'm Amber Sherlock. I hope you enjoyed the show. We look forward to seeing you again tomorrow.